Good morning. My name is Stephen. If you don't know me, I'm the, the lead pastor here. We're in a series called My Life is a Mess. My life is a mess. I think all of us can relate at one point or another, our lives feeling like a mess. And what we're doing is uh, identifying how we find grace in the middle of that mess. So instead of compounding the mess, instead of making the mess messier, uh, finding grace in the middle of it that leads us uh, in some ways out of the mess and other times just gives us the strength to endure the mess. We know there are certain messes that we can, uh, we can deal with. We can make decisions and take actions that get us out of. And there's other messes that are outside of our control. And in those moments, all we can do is ask that God would give us grace and strength in the middle of them. This morning, we're going to look at a, a particular topic uh, that uh, affects all of the other ones. Maybe more than any other topic we'll talk about, it's a topic that in and of itself is a, a billion-dollar industry. When I was 14, I believe, I read a book called Think and Grow Rich. It's a famous book written by a guy by, uh, by the name Napoleon Hill. It's a kind of a classic of business literature. And I read that, and the premise was, you can think your way to riches, some of you have been trying that for a long time. You haven't got there. The point is that you think in such a way that it moves you to act in such a way. Every morning I work out, I have an app on my phone that I follow called HasFit. And uh, uh, during every workout session, the trainer always says this, those who think they can and those who think they can't are both right. Now I'm not here to debate the merit of that quote or to talk about the self-help industry and the billions of dollars that are spent on motivational speakers and podcasts and books that are to give you tips on how to think. In fact, maybe more than any other topic, this particular one has been grabbed by the world, polluted and perverted. The world has actually tried to grab onto this topic more than any others and say, no, we know how this is supposed to go. And so people uh, train themselves into understanding the human mind and how it works. And I don't want to get into scientific debate this morning, but what I do want to do is ask ourselves, what does the most relevant book on the mind have to say about thinking? And that most relevant book wasn't written by a PhD, but by the Holy Spirit. What does the scripture have to say about the way we think? about the thoughts that fill our mind. Thousands of years ago, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, some guys wrote some very, very powerful words on the human mind, on how we think. So this morning, if your life is a mess because your thoughts are a mess for whatever reason, maybe they're consumed with negativity, Maybe they're pondering harm, either to yourself or someone else, consumed with thoughts of sadness or depression. Or maybe they're just sinful thoughts, thoughts of lust or greed or anger, bitterness, hatred, jealousy. What does the scripture teach us about how we think? This morning, as we move through it, I'm going to have five different passages of scripture 
We're going to study these five this morning, and then at the end of our service, we're going to read through them together, and then we're going to pray through them together to kind of teach us a little bit how to do this. And here's the premise for this morning. Three questions. Where do bad thoughts come from? How does the gospel change that? And then last, what do good thoughts look like? Let me say it again. Where do bad thoughts come from? How does the gospel change that? What do good thoughts look like? We're going to start our time in James chapter 1. This is written by the half-brother of Jesus. He says this, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. If you've ever heard me say, sin always leads to death, this is one of the verses where I draw that conclusion and why I say that so often. Where did bad thoughts come from? In one place, they come from inside. They come from the sinful nature that is at work in each and every one of us, and sinful thoughts stem from sinful desires. There's a pattern that's being presented. Sinful desire, which leads to sinful thought. By the way, your thoughts can be sinful. Jesus teaches us this in the Sermon on the Mount, which often then turns into, doesn't have to, it can be sin right there, even in the thought realm, but oftentimes sinful thought then turns into sinful action, which leads always to death. Always. Some of us have been trying to change our actions for years, and you're wondering why your actions don't change. And one of the reasons is, is because your thoughts haven't changed. You have an opportunity to deal with it at the thought level, but you don't. And then the thought continues to manifest itself out into action. And that always leads to death. Remember, sin always leads to death. It's the only possible outcome. So this is the natural inclination of the human heart through the human mind into human action. Sinful desire, sinful thought, sinful action. Left to our own devices, this is where our minds will reside. And I uh, said this quote earlier in this series, and I'll repeat it again. Some of us would say, I get lost in my own mind. And the, somebody quoted it as saying, don't get lost in your own mind. It's a very dangerous neighborhood. And he's right, or she was right, whoever wrote that statement, because it's true. We get up there in the mind, we get lost in it, and bad things happen in our thinking. So what does the gospel have to say about this? Said another way, has the gospel changed the way you think? Do you think differently? Not just about heaven and hell. Do you think, does the process of your mind work differently because of the gospel in you? It ought to. Look what Romans 12.2 says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, the the but, the afterwards is telling us what the pattern of the world is. The pattern of the world is a particular way of thinking. 
And he's saying, don't get caught up in thinking like this. Instead, allow your mind by the gospel to be transformed so that your mind would be renewed and you would begin to think differently. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. People say all the time, I can't discern, I can't understand the will of God. The will of God is so hard to understand. The will of God isn't actually that hard to understand. What's hard is to have a mind that thinks like God. If you have a mind that thinks like you're supposed to think, then understanding his will is actually not that hard. Oftentimes we'll say, what's the will of God? What's the will of God? Wrong question. Better question. Am I thinking the way I ought to? Then his will will be revealed. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The gospel is supposed to change the way you think. It forms a new pattern. Sinful desires, will they still come? Sure. Some of us, we've been Christians for a long time. We're still fighting the flesh. The sinful desire still comes up, but this is presenting a new pattern. That when the desire comes up, instead of it turning into sinful thought, you send that back. You send that, uh, you reject that sinful thought. You change it into a godly thought, which then turns into godly action or godly inaction. You don't do what you might have done that you shouldn't have done. And that leads to life. In other words, if you want to be holy as Christ is holy, one of the ways to get there is you have to change the way you think. Change the way you think. Your mind has to be renewed. Because of sin. Let me just make sure we're all on the same page. Because of sin, the way you think is wrong. We have a natural default to think incorrectly. That's the only reason why our mind would need to be renewed. Now, there's a couple of different ways we deal with this. There's modern self-help tactics say, okay, when the mind, when the thought comes up, just get rid of it. Push it out. Think about something else. That's not a bad tip. Right? We try behavior modification all of the time as a way to change our habits, but what do we know? If we really want to do it, any behavior modification doesn't change it. It might deal with it for the, uh, a second, but you have to change something deeper than that. The same is true of our thought life. Let me give you an example. One of the smartest things I've ever done in life, that is certainly an overstatement once I describe what I'm talking about, is I made a decision at some point in my life, I would encourage everyone to make this decision. I don't delete emails anymore. I unsubscribe. Best decision I've ever made. Here's why. Now when I get an email, I actually want to read it. And so when an email pops up and it says, get 13% off on Friday the 13th, okay, instead of just swiping and deleting it, which is going to, if I do that, what happens? Week later, I get 20% off on Friday the 20th, right? And then on and on and on. And I'll just keep happening. And I'll just keep getting it. If you just delete it, it doesn't change anything at the source. When you click the little unsubscribe button, it takes you back to the source of where the email is coming from. And you're telling them, I don't want this anymore. Until you do that, your thoughts won't change. 
You can try and delete a thought, but it'll pop back up in the next situation. The renewal of your mind is going back to the source and saying, I don't want this anymore. How do you do that? Only through the gospel. The gospel changes the way you think. It goes all the way down to the source and it changes the thoughts from there. You have to dig down deep and be changed at the core, at the source of who you are. Let me give you some examples of how you do this, how the gospel renews our mind. Maybe your thought life is a mess because every thought that comes out of you is negative. Every thought that comes out of you, negative, 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 negative. How does the gospel change that? The gospel reminds us that you always have a reason for hope and you always have a reason for positivity. You have been saved and redeemed by the God of all creation. You have a, uh, maybe your thought life is a mess because it's filled with bitterness. And all you can think about is the person that has wronged you. And the gospel changes that thought because you have a reason for forgiveness. See, sometimes people will say this, when you're bitter, just remember that it harms you more than it harms them. You know what that is? That's deleting the email. It's deleting the email. Is it a tactic? Sure. You know what's going to happen? You're going to get bitter again. You will. You're just deleting the email. Going back to the source says, why am I not bitter at this person? Because when I see that person, I see myself rejecting and abusing Jesus and he forgave me. How can I hold bitterness onto that person when I see what Jesus has forgiven me from? That's going to the source. If you don't change from the source, you don't actually change. You're just modifying go down to the source. You have a reason to forgive. You don't have to hold on to that bitter thought. You have a reason to speak love and not sarcasm or meanness. I don't even know if that's the right way to say that. Some people are just mean. Where does that come from? Mean thoughts. The scripture says that God, in Zephaniah 3.17, he what? He sings over you. The God of the universe. How is it so that the God of the universe sings over you, but you, through those mean thoughts, pour out that on people? Go back to the source. God, what you speak to me, the love and the kindness, and the, that's what I want to speak to others. Have to go back to the source. The scripture says it this way in 2 Corinthians 10.5. It encourages us to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Do you see what that verse is saying? It's saying that we can't obey unless we control our thinking. Self-control is not, the self-control from the Holy Spirit is not just control of our actions. You need just as much self-control over the way you think as you do in what you do. Self-control, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, is not just, well, I didn't do it. No, it's I didn't think it. That's as much self-control. It says if you and I, if we're going to obey Christ, if we're going to be obedient, we have to take every thought captive 
Listen, when you're growing up and you're playing capture the flag, there's two ways to win right? One way is you try and go get the other flag. The smarter way is you realize the other team you're playing isn't as smart and they'll try to come get the flag, right? And so you just let them come get the flag. And what do you do? You capture all of them and then you just walk over there and get the flag. Way easier. Take it captive. This is saying, take those negative thoughts. Take those sinful thoughts. Take all of those thoughts. Take them captive and then you can obey. When they come in, capture them by the power of Christ. This power is yours in Jesus. Take the thought captive. That means control it. It no longer has uh, the, the ability to, to run around. It loses its fragility. It, it no longer can do that. Take it captive. Where else do bad thoughts come from? Evil thoughts, sinful thoughts, whatever word you want to use. Where did they come from? In the garden. In the garden. In the garden, they, uh, Adam and Eve are there. There seems to be, as you read it, no propensity towards sin in them. Then what happens? Enemy shows up. What does he do? He gets them to uh, doubt what God said by distorting what God said, which leads to distrust of what God said. That's what he did. So where do bad thoughts come from? Where do evil thoughts come from? I mean, some of them, they come from an enemy who was called the father of lies. So bad thoughts, sinful thoughts, they come from inside and they also come from outside. They come from an enemy who wants to destroy you. And these thoughts will then begin to attack you. So what does the gospel have to say about that? 1 John 1.5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is Light. And in him is no darkness at all. This is one of my favorite per, uh, passages of scripture. In God, there is no darkness. It's only light. Which means where there is darkness is the absence of God. Let's take this to your thought life. That dark thought that says, I'm all alone. It's not from him. The, the dark thought that uh, makes you think, it's over. I'm done. Not from him. The dark thought that makes you consider harming yourself or someone else. Not from him. The dark thought that makes you quit when you're on the path that he has called you to. Not his. The dark thought that causes you to isolate yourself from the people you need the most. Not from him. Those are dark thoughts. They're not from him. It means when you wake up and all you see is darkness. All you think is darkness. That is the absence of the presence of God there because he is light. Dark thoughts aren't his. Light thoughts are his. God is light. The gospel produces light in you and becomes light through you. That dark thought that says, hey, you're all alone. No, you're not. For the Lord your God is living among you. He's right there with you. You have a church that stands with you. That is your family. That thought, I'm all alone, isn't true. It's a dark thought. The dark thought that says, my life is over. I have a young adult group uh, here at the church that I lead. And uh, uh, last time we met, there was one individual who raised, uh, this person raised their hand and they asked a question that basically said, uh, can you mess up so bad that it, that it's over. 
This person is in their early 20s. And this is the thought that's already going through their head. And the other individuals, this is why we need community. The other individuals began, we'd call it, they began to gospel this person. In other words, reminding them of the gospel. And they went around and they said, and one person even shared a story of complete breakdown in their family and how 30, no, 40 something years later, they see God's redemption in it now. Listen, there's two ways to think. There's the way of the world, which says, I've messed up and it's over. And then there's the way of the gospel, which says he can redeem all things, which says that uh, all things work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. When it says all things, it doesn't just mean all good things. It literally means all things, which means when I think like God thinks, no matter what circumstance or situation I'm facing, the way I'm supposed to think is somehow he works this out for good. That's the only godly thought in the middle of the mess. And they preached the gospel to this person. They said, it's not over. This won't define you. You're defined by his blood. You're defined by Christ in you. And so are you. That dark thought that says, my life is over and I should end it, isn't true. You are created in the image of God. He loves you. He made you. If you are saved, if you are redeemed, it means he has good for you. And any thought that says it's over or I should just walk away from life is not from him. It's not from him. And you combat that with the truth of his love for you, of his grace in making you the way that you are. You know, there's another dark thought that causes us to isolate ourselves. You know what we begin to speak? No one will really love me. If they really knew me, they wouldn't like me. If you're under the age of 25, the way you say this is, I'm too awkward, right? You, we have these phrases that we use that try to describe why it is that we live in isolation. Proverbs tells us that a fool isolates himself or herself. You have been made and wired for community and any voice or thought that says isolate is from the enemy. You are not too weird. You are not too whatever. God wants you to be in community. Don't entertain the thoughts that say, I'm just going to do this by myself. And oftentimes, here's how the enemy works. We isolate ourselves when we need people the most. How about this one? The dark thought that says, I should just quit and run. I should quit and run. I should quit this group of friends and run and find a new one. I should quit this job and run and find a new one. I should quit this marriage and run and find a new one. I should quit this calling of God on my life and run and find a new one. I should quit, fill in the blank and run and find a new one. First off, if God started it, he will complete it. Secondly, if he called you into it, his grace is sufficient for you in it. Do not let the enemy let you outthink your way or think your way 
out of what God has called you to or what he has called you into. I mean, imagine David before the battle with Goliath. Uh, imagine David there and, and, and his brother say, don't do it. And, uh, and the king says, wear my armor and it doesn't fit. And every other reason why he could have thought to himself, I should not do this when God had clearly called him into it. We are so good at thinking our way out of being exactly where God wants us to be. Don't do it. Six months into this church, I applied for a job at a church 90 miles away from here. You know why? Because every thought in my head was, this is a bad idea. Get out now. Go, run, quit. Now, God just closed the door, which he does that sometimes, but he doesn't always. I'm grateful for that. Do not think your way out of what God has you for, or God has for you. Dark thoughts, they come. Listen, you are not a captive to your dark thoughts. They, they don't reign over you like a taskmaster. They don't control you. The king, the savior, Jesus, he's more powerful. It means when you wake up in the morning, I'm telling you, when you wake up in the morning and the first thought is dark, you take it captive, you call on your savior and you call on your brother or sister in Christ. Don't just let it beat you up. Your mind, again, is a dangerous place. Why go there alone? Where do bad thoughts come from? Inside, outside. How does the gospel change them? It renews our thinking. It changes the way we think, literally. The gospel should change the way you think. God is light. Dark stuff isn't from him. What are we to think about? What are we to think about? As we enter into this next passage, I want you to th think about what you think about. You think someday they'll be able to hook something up to us that just dictates our thoughts out onto a piece of paper? Scary idea, huh? Think about that. If you could collect or gather all of your thoughts over a given day and see where they went. This is what the scripture in Philippians chapter four tells us to think about. This uh, particular passage comes at the end of one of, um, I think, one of the most beautiful explanations of the gospel in all of the scriptures. Paul's letter to the Philippians. Earlier in this letter, he's told them to have the same mind as Jesus. He's kind of hitting this idea of thought all throughout this letter. And then he gets to the end, the part that is applicable. And instead of telling them what to do, he tells them what to think. He says, finally, brothers, finally, after the end of all of this, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think 
about these things. Think about those things. Let's go through the list. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, where does Paul start with the gospel? He looks at them and he says, the first thing you have to think about is that which is true in the world. Do not let the thinking of the world uh, uh, pervade your mind in such a way that it, not the scripture, not the gospel dictates how you think. Don't let it change the way you think about God. Don't let it change the way you think about yourself. Don't let it change the way you think about what's happening in the world. Filter your thought life through what God says is true. What does he say is true? He says that he's sovereign and in control over all things. What does the scripture say is true about you? That even when you were dead in sin, Christ called you into life if you're in Christ. If you're not, this might be him calling you right now. says that he's with you, that he delights in you. These things are true. And that should be the basis of how you think. It starts with what is true. Satan is called the father of lies for a reason. He wants you to base your entire existence off of a faulty premise. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, start there. Whatever is honorable. The way this phrase is written, whatever is honorable, it's almost like saying this. Think about what someone with honor would think about. Sometimes I have this buddy I play chess with. And sometimes when we're in a you know, good game and, uh, and I don't know what to do, I'll say out loud, if I were smart, what would I do right now? And when I say that, it's a kind of a trigger for me to get to like think better, right? And, and so I asked myself, okay, what would a really smart person do right now? It says, think honorably. What would an honorable person think? I don't know who's honorable in your life, your grandma, Billy Graham, who knows? What would they think about? Next one is this, whatever is just. Here's where I think this one hits the hardest for me. Think about whatever is just. Whenever you and I begin to think about vengeance that we want to take out, it's unjust because vengeance is God, not ours. And so whenever something begins to play through your mind of what you want to do to someone who has harmed you or hurt you, that's unjust. Justice is his. In other words, that thought should not go through your mind. It's unjust. You're not the giver of justice. He is. Let him deal with it. Think about whatever is just. goes on and says, think about whatever is pure. Now we know what impure thoughts are. Paul instructs, think about what is pure. This is how I'll say it. If it's not right to do it, it's not right to think it. Let me just say that again. If it's not right to do it, it's not right to think it. If it's not right to sleep with that person, it's not right to think about sleeping with that person. If it's not right to leave your spouse, it's not right to think about it. If it's not right to steal it, it's not right to think about stealing it. If it's not right to do it, it's not right to think it. That's taking it captive. That's when the thought comes up. You say, no, 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 no. That's not pure. 
if it led to action, it wouldn't be pure. Even though it hasn't led to action, it's still not pure. Change it there. Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, by the way, what is most excellent? What is most worthy of praise? What is most commendable? What is lovely? Christ, Jesus. Here, there's a transition in the verse of being active. And now it's telling you like, like, like actively, what is lovely? What is lovely? Think about what is lovely for you. Oh, it is lovely to think about the cross, to think about what Christ has done for me, to think about the good things he has given me, what is commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Think on those things. Your mind should be fixed on that. So what do you think about? What do you think about? 